This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Hello, and welcome to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. My name is Austin, also known as Teacup. And my name is Shelby, also known as SheCup. Join us as we embark on unraveling all of your favorite mysteries from the Assassin's Creed universe. From Assassins to Templars to the mysterious Isu and more, we will seek to uncover it all. So join us and maybe even take a leap of faith. Hello and welcome to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast, where we talk about all the lore of Assassin's Creed. My name is Shelby. You might also know me as SheCup, and I'm joined here with my co-host for this podcast. Yeah, so I am Austin, also known as Teacup. And we're super excited to be back. I know we've had a little bit of a break for the holidays, so we've we've kept you waiting for our part two of Avor, unfortunately. But we are back today to talk about the rest of her life and to finish up what we know about her story. So, Austin, are we ready to just jump right in? We are. And so this is your point where um, there aren't going to be any spoilers for the last chapter DLC. I'm going to mention it, but I'm not going to go into any detail of the things that happen in there just because that part is so recent. It is very short, so go play it if you haven't but I'm not going to really go into any details of that DLC. But this is your spoiler warning for Assassin's Creed Valhalla, Assassin's Creed The Wrath of the Druids, Assassin's Creed Valhalla Siege of Paris, all of those things. These are your spoiler warnings for that. So, we last left Eivor after she and Sigurd and Basim and Haytham had defeated Kyote and taken and taken their fortress. What? Do you mean Hytham? You said Haytham. Hytham, yes. <laughs> you know, it's all the same. Uh, Is it? And so after they beat the battle, we learned that Gorm escapes and lives to fight another day. So we picking up with Eivor and her group here. And so Eivor, Sigurd, and Basim all leave Kyote's fortress and head to Ulrekstad, which is Harold's kind of fortress to inform him of their victory over Kyote. So they travel there, and when they arrive, they learn that Harold is hosting an Aethling, which is kind of like a gathering of all the nobles or leaders in like a big kind of meeting, whatever. But we learn that because of this, Harold has declared a truce in his city and says that no blood and no violence is to be had into his um, city while this meeting is going on, which Gorm and his men are now under the protection of. So we see the issue. Now, this isn't an uncommon thing that rulers of cities would do to ensure that like peaceful meetings would actually be peaceful. Uh, so... Eivor, obviously, being who she is, does not want to keep the peace. She wants to kill Gorm. So with the help of Basim, she learns to kind of sneak into Gorm's camp where she uh, confronts him and attempts to force him to basically just like, hey, let's step outside the city wall so I can kill you. 
which kind of seems to be like, you know, as we might say, kind of following the letter of the law and not the spirit of the law situation kind of going on here. Right. She's very much skirting the rules. Yes. Um, and so obviously Gorm is not stupid and he knows that Eivor is a superior fighter. And so he's not going to fight her. So he's not goaded. And eventually Harold's guards come into the camp and intervene and basically says, no one's going to break the King Harold's peace, like back to your respective areas. This is over. So they all attend this meeting and Harold announces his plan to unite all the clans of Norway under his banner. So he will be the king of Nor Norway. And he asks all these people who will join him, basically. And some people join him. Some people say, we're leaving this land. Like, we don't want to be a part of you. We don't bear you any ill will, but we want to live in our own freedom. So we're going to leave. Gorm comes up and says that he will join King Harold. And he does so by telling lies that Eivor and their men snuck into their camp and murdered Keotve in cold blood and not basically telling that Eivor has wrongly, wrongfully killed his father. Well, obviously this is an obvious lie and Harold's own cousin was there present for the whole battle. And so Harold's basically like, Gorm, you're a liar. You're now exiled. He names him Worm and exiles him. Put a pause on that because we'll come back to that later. At this point, Steerborn, Sigurd's father, pledges himself and his clan to Harold without Eivor and Sigurd's knowledge. So basically to kind of put this in context, Steerborn has basically given away Sigurd's inheritance as like his own king and Jarl to be servants to this Harold without telling Sigurd that it was going to happen. So, like, is this Harold guy, like, is he even a well-known king that they would want to follow, or is he just some, some dude? He's an accomplished warrior, and he's an accomplished leader. So, there's no real shame in following him, but, like, for someone like Sigurd, who was raised as the son of a Jarl and someone who was a king, it's a step down. And they're giving up their freedom because they're now beholden to a lord, a different person, not like being able to rule their own people. Yes, it's very much kind of like a situation where, you know, in Last Kingdom, all of the eldermen are under Alfred, who is king of Wessex. Like the eldermen have their own title and nobility and a little bit of their freedom, but they are beholden to Alfred and Alfred tells them what to do. Whereas it's kind of similar situation, like Sigurd would still be a Jarl, but he would be beholden to Harold at this point. Whereas or he would he, risk warfare. Mm -hmm. Whereas he was not before. He was just him and his own group of people. Correct. Yeah, I'd be pissed too. Yeah. So naturally he's enraged by this deceit and like, so he and Eivor basically plan to say like, we're going to leave Norway and settle in England where we can be kings of our own and places of our own. So they kind of gather up like people they need. They get a blacksmith, uh, a, 
a brewer, someone who can do ale, farmers, other people who are willing to come with them who don't want to live under Harold's yoke. And they all kind of gather secretly in the longhouse to meet about this. And it's thrown out that they should take the spoils of Kyoto's fortress for themselves because it's Eivor and Sigurd who won them and therefore they don't rightfully belong to Steerborn. Well, Eivor and Sigurd actually oppose this. They say that the riches do belong to Steerborn because they won them under while they were under his banner and that they should look at this as a fresh start and not leave with any kind of baggage attached to them from the time before that. Now, this is there's a canon decision, which is what is made, is that they don't take the stuff. But this is actually a choice that the player can make. You can choose to not to take the supplies and you get basically kind of like a small supply bump when you start settling in England, but you get negative like approval points with Sigurd or you can side with what Sigurd says and you get positive approval points, but you are set back a little bit of resources. Um, it's not enough to like really put a detriment into you. You just have a little bit of an edge. Right. I mean, that's a really smart decision because like I'm sitting over here like, oh, yeah, take it. You earned it. Take it. Take it. But like now, once you say that, I'm like, oh, yeah, that tactically makes more sense because now they don't have to like look over their shoulder for the rest of their lives, wondering if if they're going to like get stabbed in the back for, for taking this. Right. And so eventually, so Basim and Hytham also say that they're going to come with the duo to England for whatever reason. But there's a really fun scene that you can get. Uh, so basically, when you're getting ready to leave, Steerborn returns with Harold's men after that and realizes that his son and Eivor are leaving. If you have not taken the supplies, there is a kind of like, heartfelt like but sad melancholy scene between Sigurd and Eivor and Steerborn where he's like I don't like this but I understand what you're doing so go whereas if you did take that he's really mad that you took the supplies and he basically says to Eivor I should have left you to the wolves yikes which you could interpret like the literal wolves who were going to eat Eivor when she was a kid, or you could interpret that as the wolf clan and he shouldn't have helped. Or you can interpret it as both. Yeah. Um, but so that's kind of where we set. We're going to take the candid decision. Eivor did not want the spies, so they are kind of free. So it takes them three weeks to sail from Norway to England which I am not a sailor. I don't know what the technology was at the time. I don't know if that's long. I don't know if that's short from Norway to England. I don't know. It seems long to me, but I'm an American and I don't know if those, I mean, I know that they're not close per se, but it's way closer than we are. So it feels like it should be shorter, but I don't know if that's accurate. Right. I mean, we also know that like our standard map that we normally look at, like those are not the actual sizes of the countries or the That's continents. True. Like Europe is much smaller, like geographically than it appears on like our standard maps. So, you know, like 
they could be relatively more closer. I mean, England, there are several states that are bigger than England geographically. And like, it's not like they're going like through Europe and then up. They're like just sailing across the north side of Europe right there. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So maybe three weeks is average. I don't know. Someone who's sailing, tell us, is three weeks, would that be a long time or a short time for them to get to England? But they arrive in England in 873 CE. Uh, they sail up the river. I looked, I really looked. I did not look at the actual map, but I looked for which river it Ravensthorpe lies on. I could not find it. So if you know it, let me know. I don't know, man. I know nothing about Norway. Genuinely, I know nothing about it other than the fact no. that it's Scandinavian. So anyway, they sail up the river and they come across a abandoned settlement that they discover is overrun with Saxon bandits. So after they, in their Viking ways, discover that they uh, destroy the bandits and move them out, they discover and establish the settlement of Ravensthorpe. It is here that Avor, Avor meets the Chinese merchant Yanni and Rowan, the Saxon stable hand, who both agree to join the Raven clan and live at Ravensthorpe. So he now has a merchant and a Saxon, which, okay, so we're already building this diverse cast of characters, which, you know, it's not that unfathomable to exist at this time. Europe, England was not like a mono culture at the time of like people that were around there because of how the Roman Empire distributed people. Avor then learns that Sigurd, after they established that, is leaving with ba Basim to meet with the sons of Ragnar in the north. He then tasks Avor with growing ravens for and building alliances with the other Viking clans and groups around England. So they basically want to establish themselves as a very well-established Viking group. So, also English people, please forgive, it, forgive me. You all sometimes put too many words into one syllable, so I'm going to try to pronounce these. Forgive me if I don't get them. Uh, Avor builds alliance to groups of uh, Granted Bridge Shire and Lettishire. This is where Avor, Avor meets uh, Abba Ragnarsson and his brother Ivar the Boneless. So Abba and Ivar are both historical characters that we do know existed. Now I will tell you, if you watch Last Kingdom, this Abba is very different than the Abba in Last Kingdom. Yes. And I don't think Abba in The Last Kingdom is Abba Ragnarsson. He has a different last name. Yes. Um, which a lot of them shared names. So they're, they're, that's one of the problems with the historical narrative is like, think about like Lost Kingdom Uhtred. There were like 16 Uhtreds. There's like five Uhtreds in the book itself. Several. Yeah. And also, yeah. I'm pretty sure Ivar the Boneless is not in the show, but he is in the books. Yes. Um, he is a very, uh, he is like a historical character known as like a very savage Viking. And that's how he is in the game as well. So they do aid with Cheobert, who is the son of the future king of Mercia, Cheowulf, also historical king of Mercia. Um, so they help them out and they build a relationship and they get 
Through this, they crown Cheowulf the king of Mercia. So, Eivor is now part of this alliance. Ravensthorpe is in Mercia. So, little historical lesson. There were four areas of England that kind of existed as kingdoms in their mother Celtic areas. So, you had Northumbria, which was a little more, like, ununified. There were probably several kings. You had East Anglia, Mercia, and then Wessex, which were the four kingdoms of England. And those were the areas. And it's not till much later after this point that all of them unite to be, like, one England under one king. And they all have gone through different periods where they're all powerful or where they're one is more powerful than the other. But mm-hmm. it is Wessex where that becomes the seat of power eventually. Yes. Um, but London, where is now the capital, that is in the Kingdom of Mercia. But it was on the border between Mercia yes. and Wessex at the time. I know yes. this because I read all the Last Kingdom books. Uh-huh. Not because so, I know anything about British history. No offense. But this is important. Listeners. This is important because Eivor has now taken place in the crowning and usurping of a crown of one of the major kingdoms of England. So now Cheowulf is a Viking puppet king, which a lot of times, you know, the Viking Jarls, they wouldn't want to actually like sit in the chair. So they would get a Saxon who was basically just a puppet to sit in the chair and be king and run things for them while they were actually in charge and would just collect tribute. And so, while back in Ravensthorpe, uh, basically Cheowulf sends Cheobert with Eivor to be like, to toughen him up, basically. To say like, hey, go with them, live with the Raven clan for a little bit so you can like, learn to be a warrior. Which, like, that's, that's some trust. If you were a Saxon, would you send your like one like your heir and son off to live with a village of Vikings? I mean, no, but this is actually something that happened a lot um, in history. They would send hostages in lieu of like a promise or whatever that they okay, I'll keep your son, I'll keep your person safe as long as you do this thing you told me you would do, and this happens all the time in like every viking show i've watched um and it's something that really happened in history so it's not as it is weird it is odd to us but it's not as weird in context as it may seem on the surface so at this point uh mercenaries from east anglia attack ravensthorpe and eivor then vows to figure out who they are and sets out for east anglia well through this process eivor assists east anglia against warring viking clans and in the end eivor is victorious and crowns oswald king of east anglia so now we have both mercia and east anglia that eivor has taken place in setting forth their king on that throne which is a big deal it is a big deal um it's it's uh, a lot of power that Eivor has not only bestowed, but has received, especially if those two kings are beholden to her. Yes, and they do pledge friendship, so they are now allied with the Raven's clan in that. Well, so there's another Viking that we talked about recently. His name is Dag. 
and he kind of serves as like Eivor's shipmate. Well, he's really a like warrior and beholden to Sigurd. Now, Eivor is acting in Sigurd's stead. So like Sigurd is Jarl of this Raven clan. But Eivor is the one he appointed to act as Jarl while he's gone. So she does have his authority. However, Dag doesn't think that Eivor is doing a good job. He thinks that Eivor is just after power for herself. And so it is a point that Dag eventually becomes fed up with this. And also Eivor begins like, you can as Eivor begin flirting with Ranvi, who is Sigurd's wife. And basically she reveals that like her and Sigurd are basically in a political and loveless kind of relationship in marriage. And so there's information that you can get there. Well, Dag and Dag kind of sees that and he's like, what are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. You can choose to not engage in anything with Ranby and say like, you're married to Sigurd. I'm not going to do anything. Like we need to end this relationship with Sigurd if we want to pursue something that choice is a point that gains you approval or disapproval with Sigurd. Another choice that comes in, Dag will challenge you to a duel no matter what choices you make. And basically challenges you for leadership of the Raven clan. And he does this after you sit in judgment on people, very similar to kind of how you would sit in judgment in Dragon Age Inquisition, but you like settle disputes. Like he stole my chickens, he killed my dog what what's the proper like rip it like for all of this and then so after the fight avor can choose to either let dag take his axe or keep his axe from him if you choose to give dag his axe as he's dying you do get approval points with sigurd even though he's not there for the whole thing if you deny him his axe you get disapproval points for Sigurd, which I guess makes sense. Like Dag is just kind of exercising his rights and what he thinks is an improper, like usurping of power on a first point, even though that's not what's actually happening. Yeah. I mean, I can understand completely why he would be upset. Um, it does seem a little bit like this is a person who is kind of shoehorned into the story to kind of like have a check on Eivor's power, not necessarily like something that would actually happen organically in the game. Yeah, it's kind of, it is kind of weird because when you first meet Dag, he's kind of like presented a little bit like, oh, you're this like quirky companion who gives me crap for being like stupid sometimes, but you're like my friend. And then like out of nowhere, he turns and he's like, he's pissed that you're in charge and Sigurd's not in charge. And it does kind of seem inorganic a little bit. But so as we continue, Eivor, or so now we are moving into the kingdoms of Wessex and Northumbria. And so while you're working in Wessex, you're basically working mainly in Sussex and Essex. You kind of come into, you meet this person named Fuquet. And she is kind of a religious zealot. She's not really Christian, but she has now gotten a hold of Sigurd and has like implanted in his mind this idea of like the gods were once among us. They once had great technology. They did all this basically explaining the Isu to Sigurd as like the gods once walked the earth. 
well we get all this kind of ideas and like in trying to like establish friendship with one of the kingdoms in essex and all of these places there's like this big conflict between pk and avor and everything and we meet alfred and so alfred basically offers for peace basically offers a trade that they would take one of his generals for taking one of theirs well basm offers sigurd without anything and so sigurd is traded to fuke to like basically for her to experiment on and we learn that fuke is like working for alfred which is like a huge shock shock to everyone because she's not christian and she's not very like religious and almost displays heresy but alfred and alfred is like alfred i'm alfred i'm a good christian so it's a big shock and then avor is kind of like born between this thing of like i need to go rescue sigurd but i also need to keep building alliances so there's a lot of time where she is like continuing like dealing with the kingdoms of northumbria and wessex she meets haft in the black she meets guthrum who is the main opponent of alfred um which is a big deal like guthrum guthrum is a big historical character in like the england versus the danes conflict and he also meets out Al- she meets alfred in this moment now before uh and during this time she also comes into possession of the sword excalibur which i guess technically makes her queen of england but i guess that's another story avor is busy man like i am i am exhausted listening to all of the things <laughs> she has done but I, I just think it's funny that she finds Excalibur, but never at one point is it like, oh, I guess I'm Queen of England now, because like that's the mythology behind this Excalibur. Whoever wields this sword is, you know, king or queen of England. Right, right. But I think let's take our break before we kind of go into like the aftermath of all of this and the DLCs. Makose! Shoot! Shoot a flying demon! Malaka! 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 I get the sense you two are ill fit for whatever it is you're plotting. <laughs> this one takes us for a fool, brother. We sons of Ragnar have this well under control. No, we do not. Sons of Ragnar? I know of many, but never have I heard of dull and duller. All right. So welcome to the middle of the show. This is where we talk about all the things that have to do with the administration i don't know this is where we have to talk this is where we talk about all the things that don't have to do with the lore of assassin's creed so um first and foremost the first thing i have to tell you is that if you want to support us the best possible way to support us is to support us via patreon um we do have a patreon set up with a few patrons and we're so thankful for all of them um but if you want to support us definitely hop on the patreon we even have tiers where you can come and join us on the show and we will be starting patron episodes very soon um so make sure you get in there by january now um another great way to support us if you can't support us financially is to leave us a good rating or review on spotify or on apple now i do have a a review to read today and this one is from chris 031817 and chris says great podcast five stars i'm glad i stuck through the first 
few episodes. Technical issues. Your research is amazing and you really give great inside views for even deep fans like myself. Thank you so much, Chris, for this awesome review. We're so thankful too that you stuck through the first few episodes. We did have some technical issues, but I think those episodes are remastered now. So you should be good for listening to the older episodes if you want to go back and haven't listened to them. So um, yeah, leave us a rating and review and we'll read it out on the show. And then the last thing that I have to tell you is that you should definitely join our Discord server. It's the best place on the internet. We have a lot of fun. Um, we talk about Dragon Age, Assassin's Creed, The Inheritance Cycle, Mass Effect, all kinds of games. Um, so come over there and hang out with us and it's a blast. All right. Now, Austin, unless you have anything else you want to talk about in the mid-break, let's get back to it. Me, Haytham. I come in peace. Why are you speaking so slow? Sorry. What? Um, I, I was told you could train me. No. Go away. I'm not leaving. Bianca! Bianca! Is everything all right? What do you think? Look at this place. And poor Bianca. If something's happened to her. Aha! Oh, my darling. Thank God you're all right. Ezio, meet Bianca. Bianca, Ezio. Charmed. All right, well, let's get back into it. So we talked about Sigurd eventually being captured and transferred to Alfred. Uh, and he's tortured at the hands of uh, UK and everything about there. It is then that she then reveals to Eivor and Sigurd that they are Isu sages, though they don't really understand what's going on about that. And there's a big conflict between Eivor and Basim over this. And basically that there are points in there where you can make a choice to punch Sigurd, you can make a choice to punch Basm, and then you can make another choice again to punch Basm. Anytime you punch them, you do get negative approval points with Sigurd. But there are times where Basm is being like callous and really a jerk that you do kind of want to punch him. And so after they rescue Sigurd and we learn that like she has cut off his arm and there's all kind of chit like torture and like Sigurd is now kind of like a broken man at this point. Eivor eventually kills Fouquet and it's a big deal and she rescues him. Um, and so after all the deals of hunting down the order and finding Alfred and doing all that, which we'll talk about in a moment, um, Sigurd and Eivor leave for Norway because Sigurd says that he's discovered like some kind of source of their godhood that they need to reclaim. So they leave for Norway and they eventually encounter the great tree Yggdrasil and they experience a Valhalla simulation where they both think they've gone to Valhalla. But the bigger, the big kicker that breaks this for Eivor is that her father is present in Valhalla. And Eivor is basically just like, you should not be here. Because let's remember, Varen threw away his axe and willingly died without a weapon. 
Now he did it to save his people, but he died without honor. He died branded a coward. According to everything that Eivor has been taught and believes, her father Varen should not be in Valhalla. Right. And so this takes her out kind of like out of the simulation then. Yes. And she very much thinks that and like they do eventually escape. And when they escape, they're encountered by Basim, who reveals that he is a sage of Loki and attempts to kill Eivor, who he knows is a sage of Odin. Uh, after the conflict and everything, they trap Basim in the machine and escape. He's not then freed until Layla comes into the Yggdrasil tree in simulation. And we talked about that in our um, Loki episode. And so you can go back and listen all about that. And so that's kind of the end of the game. And now we do know that Eivor eventually does say her goodbyes and leaves for a place called Vinland. So we're going to talk about Vinland, which is a separate area. So Eivor assists Hytham with hunting down the Order of Ancients in England. This would take her all over across the places. It would take her to hunt down the Order in the cities of Yorvik, which is York, um, Winchester, and London. And so she would hunt down several order members outside of these cities for a grand total of 30 order members. So she kills 30 people across England who are all associated with the Order of Ancients. This does lead her briefly to go and hunt down Gorm, who has taken his father's place in the Order of Ancients. This leads her to a land that we know as Vinland which is North America, where she interacts with the ancestors of Connor's tribe. And there's a whole thing where we talked about when we talked about the crystal balls and that episode, we talked about that artifact that Eivor encounters. Well, she kills Gorm and she gets that artifact and she builds this affinity with the Vinland tribe. And so she goes back and she hunts down the rest of the order. She also hunts down an additional 15 people who are identified as zealots, which are just kind of like enforcers of the order's will. Um, if you've played AC Origins, they very much are similar to the Thalakatai. If you remember fighting those mercenaries that hunt you down. How could you not remember the foghorn sound when one of them is nearby? That's fair. And there's a similar horn sound when they're nearby in Valhalla. There's only one video game sound that's worse than the Thalakatai sound. Uh, the Reaper. The Reaper noise from Mass Effect, especially oh. Mass Effect 3. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so she hunts down the zealots and eventually it is revealed that Alfred of Wessex is the Grand Master of the Templar Order. But not only that, Alfred is also the quote unquote poor soldier under Christ who has uh, been helping Eivor hunt down the Order of Ancients. And so it's revealed that when Alfred inherited this position from his father and brothers as Grand Master, he actually hated the Order and wanted to see it destroyed. And so after Alfred meets with Eivor, he tells her that he's dissolving the Order and building it into something new and something more holy. And that's the end of the base game of Valhalla. 
So before we talk about the DLCs real quickly, do you have any thoughts? I guess I find it interesting that Alfred says he wants to make the Templar order into something more holy when you think about the modern day Templars, because there's nothing religious about them anymore. Um, mm. You know, before Alfred, they are very much like worshiping almost the Isu. And then Alfred turns them into something different um, that is more Christian based, but like they've lost all that now. So I find that interesting. And I, I feel like I want to say that Alfred failed um, in that, or even maybe that the modern day Templars have failed Alfred. Um, right. So I find that interesting. That's the first thing I find interesting. Well, it doesn't take, in a grand historical thing, it doesn't take very long for them to get to that point because Rodrigo Borgia, when he's fighting Ezio in the Vatican vault, is basically like, I don't believe any of this crap that the church right. is spouting. Right, and he's supposed to be the freaking Pope. Right. If he doesn't Which believe just, it, who does? Who should? You know, I think Avor is a really interesting character, but I don't know if her story cohesively and narratively makes sense with all the different things she does and all the different places she goes well it's kind of like i think it comes from the fact that it's an open world game and we don't and you have a choice of where to go when so we don't really know like what the cohesive story is of when avor goes where no, I get that. I, I get that completely. I guess I just feel like Eivor is... This game wants to be an RPG, an open world RPG, but it doesn't let you create your own character. You don't get to play as a character that you create. You're still playing as a character that's created by Ubisoft. And it almost feels like they have tried to make this character of Eivor so open that you can customize it and role play in however you want to, that she then almost has no personality, that there's nothing that then makes Eivor unique. I would agree with that for the most part. I mean, I don't know why they, it feels that way because Cassandra is kind of the same way, though I guess Cassandra still has like a set plot that she follows through the world she can deviate and do a bunch of side stuff all the time but she has a set like progression that she follows and like areas that she goes to as she does that whereas like from the moment you land in england you can go anywhere right and like again i guess i should preface and and give a disclaimer because i haven't played this game everything i'm saying comes from uh, secondhand knowledge from everything you've told me but like from a storytelling perspective from a writing perspective that's kind of how i feel maybe my opinion will change um by the time i get to this game but that's where i'm at right um and that's true like i'm telling it in like the big highlight points there's a lot that i've left out that probably gives the story um, some cohesion. But again, like if you want to know that, like go play the game. I will. I know you will. But <laughs> I just for our listeners, there is more to these stories. There's more that happens. Um, but for time's sakes, I kind of condensed this into the big points. So now we're getting into the DLCs. So the first DLC that we're talking about is the Ireland DLC. And so Eivor makes her way to Ireland after meeting a friend of Hytham's called Azar, who was a merchant. Uh, and they go over there so that they will assist with the coronation of their high king, King Flan. 
uh, there's tension between the Celts or Druids and the Saxons of Ireland. Big surprise. The Saxons, the Christian Saxons are having difficulty with the native religious group in the Druids. No way. I do feel like the Saxons just like had issues with everyone that wasn't themselves. Yes, they did. Well, anyway. so the king wants Amor's help in basically ensuing a smooth transition and coronation for himself. And so he, Eivor is then assisted by a red-haired bard named Clara, who has a voice that has the power to enchant men. Obviously leaning into, like, the druid Celtic stereotypes here. Uh, so she's like a siren, basically. Kinda, in a lot of ways. So she tells Eivor of a secret cult called the Children of Danu, who are basically behind the scenes and influencing this. So this is very similar to the cult of Cosmos in that they are not the order of ancients, but they have similar ideals and they are kind of influenced and controlled by the order of ancients. So Eivor again hunts down the cult and secures the coronation. Uh, however, through a lot of inference, like things that happen, basically learning that Flond intends to be a Christian king and tends to like move against the Druids. Clara betrays Eivor and a fight ensures between the two. This leads Eivor to decide Clara's fate and they destroy this big piece of Eden called the, uh, I can't remember exactly what it's called, but it's this big thing and a big deal. And this basically secures Ireland's friendship with Raventhorpe. If you want more of the story, go play the DLC. I don't want to spoil and just go point by point what exactly happens in the game. And then after that, Eivor ex uh, participates in the Siege of Paris, which historically has been the biggest Viking raid on a place in all of history. A bunch of Viking clans band together and basically sack Paris under Charles. I can't remember what number Charles he is, but he's Charles the Fat. And they basically, Eivor takes part in the raid and also works to dispose Charles the Fat from the throne. He works with her queen, his queen, and all of this stuff. Again, if you want more information, you can play that DLC. I highly recommend playing the Siege of Paris DLC. I think it's the best one of all of them. And so, yeah, that's Eivor's story. It's very interesting. I am I am still excited to play this game. I know I feel like I've critiqued it a lot in this episode. So all you Valhalla stands out there, please don't be too mad at me. Um, but Eivor, really, I feel like in reflecting on these past two episodes, Eivor is a remarkable character to have accomplished so much. Um, and it's interesting to me that she doesn't seem to affect the world in any significant way. Like, She's not remembered. She's not like written down in the history books. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, think about it. Think about like there is this mythological Viking character that was probably actually several people who had a role in all of these areas. And I mean, if you think about like this is a good moment of like the victors write the history books and like we remember and know like who the people who write history want us to remember. Right. And so I, as good historians, it's our job to try to uncover like the hidden gems of, or the hidden people that were there. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, but I do think I for we always do like why we like or love this character. And I think that with me for Avor, I think that Avor's story is compelling, but due to maybe voice acting or writing or dialogue or maybe just like what you said, like the open endus of this, like I don't have a large like attachment to Avor as a character, not the way I do to Bayek or Aya or Cassandra or Alexios or any of the other ones, or even like, you know, we go all the way back to Ezio. Like we have a huge emotional connection to Ezio. Right. And I just don't really feel that with A4. Yeah, I agree. I don't feel that with A4 at all. Um, and you should. You should, because there's so much that happens. Um, but mm -hmm. I, I just don't feel like they did the work narratively to make us feel for A4. Right. And like, and compare this, like, A4 does suffer a lot of trauma. But like, it's very easy to like game the system and like see where the best ending is going in Assassin's Creed Valhalla, where that wasn't the case in Odyssey. Like when I did my first playthrough of Odyssey, I got the worst ending possible. And like, it was heartbreaking, but it was so good that I kept that I didn't save scum. And like I played my Cassandra in a, in retrospect of those choices. And I just really think that like, like when Cassandra cried and like felt this, like I felt that I don't like Avor is just like, oh yeah, this happened. I don't really care. I also feel like, and this may be controversial, so bear with me. I also feel like Avor as a woman, um, I I feel like she has kind of the same problem that Ray has from Star Wars. Like she has such a tragic story. We're supposed to feel bad for her. She's like a great fighter who accomplishes all these things. But for some reason, she just falls flat. And I don't necessarily want to say that Eivor is, is a one-dimensional person. Uh, because I don't necessarily, from what I've seen of Ahala, I don't think she's one-dimensional. But I, I just feel like the story, as it's written, does not do the character justice. And maybe I need to read the Valhalla novelization to kind of like really get us this from a narrative storytelling perspective. Mm -hmm. But that's how I feel playing the game. Right. All right. Do you have any other thoughts on A4? That is all I've got. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. You can find us on Twitter at Assassin's Creed Lorecast, or you could talk to us on Discord in the Robots Radio Discord or our personal Discord server. Both links found in this episode's descriptions. Thank you for listening, and always stay to the shadows to serve the light, Assassins. Are you a fan of Elden Ring? Are you confused about the lore as pretty much everyone else? We've got you covered. Check out the Elden Archives, a lore podcast that helps to explain every little confusing detail about the lands between. Things like what exactly happened on the Night of the Black Knives, or what we really know about characters like Mikola. Just like the show you're listening to now, we're on the Robots Radio Network, so you know it'll be good. Wondering how to find the show? Easy. Either go to robotsradio.net or search Elden Archives on whatever podcatcher you're using right now. Bookmark the show for later and we'll see you in the lands between.
Again, that's The Elden Archives, a FromSoft Lorecast, available everywhere.